You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from Lead Pastor Joshua Smith. Church. Good morning, Isle. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are in the book of Acts. We are chipping our way through, moving our way through, and uh, today we're actually just going to be looking at three verses and then kind of expanding out from that. So yes, just three verses today will be our primary scripture. Is that all we're looking at? If you know me, the answer is no. No, that's not all we're looking at. Uh, but three verses where we'll begin, and then next week we're actually going to be, we're going to cover verses 4 through 12 in Acts chapter 13, and then even more on the last week in October, we're going to cover thir- verses 13 through 52, just whoosh, all it all in one big chunk. So, itty bit, then a little bit of bit, then a little bit of bit. So, that's the way we're going to work through the book of Acts here, uh, chapter 13 through the end of October. Last week, uh, we were in uh, the chapter 12. Ta-da. In case you missed it, we talked about kind of basically what we'll call the, the battle of ectenes, or as this, the Greek word of ektinos means stretched to your limits. And I uh, just want to really encourage you to allow, uh, not like he can't without you, but really encourage your heart to allow God to stretch you, that we need to be being stretched in our faith, being drawn out of what is comfortable or what is normal, maybe, maybe being drawn out of the world into a more obedient uh, faith. So, uh, anyway, so we're going to pick up here. Invite you to stand into chapter thirteen. We're going to read verses one through three together, and then you might ask, "How are we going to have a sermon out of this?" And uh, it might be a great question. But verses one through three of Acts chapter thirteen is the word of the Lord. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers: Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that... uh, not only this reading, but the reading of this and the other scriptures, uh, not my words, uh, but your word would be what changes our hearts and our lives today, that we are all in unity, fully relying on you, and, uh, and I pray that you would reveal to us what we need to know, that you would convict us, what we need to repent of, and that with our mouth we would confess, and with our lives we would obey, that this would all be a reflection of you as Christ, of you as Lord, of you as King of our lives. Your name we pray, Amen. Yeah. 
So there are a lot of people in this church in Antioch. Not to do much of a recap, but the last few weeks uh, we've talked over a few chapters and this church in Antioch had come out of this very sinful, very ugh type of people. Uh, Antioch, uh, Syrian Antioch at the time, again, was kind of what I'll call up in the armpit of the Mediterranean Sea. It's in modern-day Turkey. And it was a hub, it was a metropolis for trade and uh, business, and there was a lot of deceitful things done. In fact, again, there was a, a Roman historian uh, who, who was uh, uh, writing that, you know, the, out of this Syrian Antioch, uh, downstream flows ugh, into Rome, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I'll let your brain think of what the ugh could be, uh, but flows downstream uh, into Rome. And so just even the corruptness, you want to think of it as maybe a Las Vegas type of thing, but then with trade and metropolitan, it was on the, it was on the coast, and uh, there's no reason to go to the middle of a desert in Vegas. There's no trade there. Uh, there's a whole lot of losing there. And, but there's not a whole lot of trade. So this was on the coast there by the Mediterranean Sea, and it was a very deceitful, very disgusting, very decrepit, very ugh place. And you wouldn't think that that would be the, the birthplace of basically what uh, is the church. It wasn't actually Jerusalem. Was there a church in Jerusalem? Absolutely. It was uh, many of the disciples who were left and stayed there. But what we see is being Paul and Barnabas and the, and the missionary journeys were sent out of not Jerusalem, but Antioch. That's what's going to happen here right at the end of this. And before we go into this next few weeks, which is important, I wanted to take a couple, a little bit of this, these three verses, because I, I, I don't want us to overlook a, a few things. Um, if, you ever, if your Bible has maps in the back, um, you know, that's the fun part, you know. As, as a kid, I grew up, and there was maps in the back, and, and even in the children's Bible at home, you know, one of Landon's favorite stories is just turning to the map. And he'll, like, just draw his finger over on the arrows and take himself on his own missionary journey over the red line, went over to here, and, Daddy, what's this? Antioch. And we go over here, what's this? Antioch. But you just said that. I know there's two. You know, but, and we go over here, that's Jerusalem. And then I'll go over here, and what's that? You know, and it's just, so he'll just trace the map in the back, and it's fun for him. And, and so, you know, out of the, the four main missionary journeys that we will read about, um, Paul, which we're going to cover here throughout the, the rest of this book, uh, before we launch into that, I don't want us to to miss what's actually happening here, uh, that we bypass where they are sent out from, and that we overlook what they are doing when they are sent, and furthermore, that we miss who is doing the sending. All this is important, because if we miss this, we might think that Barnabas, uh, Barnabas yeah, that's their, that's their duet name, you know, there's, there's Paul and Barnabas, uh, Barnabas, yeah. You might think that Paul and Barnabas just took it upon themselves to be like, you know what, a trip sounds nice. You know, this whole Mediterranean area, it's really pretty this time of year. Why don't we just go do what we're going to do, and we can take some, you know, giant panorama pictures we're at. It's going to be fantastic. We can observe the mosaics and all that. It's going to be great. Oh, and by the way, on our way, we will talk about Jesus. No, as I said, it's not what happened at all. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas were very comfortable kind of where they were in Antioch. We know that they spent at least a year there building the church up, just leading it. All right? And so where we're going to begin today is this verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I don't know about your math, but I count five, right? Anyone tracking with me? Okay, simple math, okay. 
count five. And it's important for us to begin today, just as kind of like a, a reminder maybe for some of these things. But first of all, the church did not have only one central figure, only one teacher. The reason that I continue to be thankful for the elders here uh, at True Life Church, we've been an elder-led model since 2015. Uh, we've had elders, you know, come and go as life ebbed and flowed, uh, but they sign up for a three-year sentence, and uh, and if they survive at the end, they get a, a mandatory one year off, and then they can come back on. So we've had people who have been elders rolled off and then also come back on. So exciting things, um, but it's important to rem- remember that. Uh, 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 the proper church that we will read about in all of the New Testament doesn't have one central figure. It's not a figurehead. It's elder-led. Uh, you can write that down. I thought it was... Anyway, all right. All right it's, it's elder-led, not a figurehead. And if you and I are paying attention, if we have our eyes open, we will look out at the landscape of what we'll call Christian American church today, and what do we see? We see figureheads. And it's a matter of time before that figurehead falls. Because with no support, no encouragement, no accountability in Christ surrounding that person, I do what I want. Sometimes I do what I want gets them in trouble. Lawsuits, sexual allegations, and other things. So it's important that we see here that it wasn't just Saul leading the church. It wasn't just Barnabas it definitely wasn't Parnabas. All right? There were leaders here in the church. Again, we'll, are all these names women or men? Yes. They're men. Okay, and this is why it makes sense when we read later in Titus from 1 Timothy that the leaders of the church should be elders or men. It's not because women are less than. They just have a different role. All right? Elders are men. So we have men leading the church. So a tiny little side note here. Right now, it's myself and two other elders. Men, I want you to to kind of get an image in your brain real quick. Imagine with me if every or any man in our church could be an elder to that level of spiritual accountability, to that level of discipleship, to that level of obedience, to that level of you fill in the blank. And we look down that list in Titus and 1 Timothy. Men, I encourage you, take that home as homework outside of this. Men, just men. Titus and 1 Timothy, and look over that list. I messed it up, and then I just had to continue it out, right? It happened. Titus and 1 Timothy, and look over that list, men, and say, am I that? Should I be that, men? I, I'm sorry. Men, should, you, should we try to be that? All right. I messed up. <laughs> okay, keep trying. Surround yourself with other men and accountability. We want a strong church. We need strong men. Strong men in your home. Strong men in your faith. Strong men amongst friends who are willing to stand up or step out and be bold and be courageous. And behind these strong men, we also need strong women who aren't going to tell the men exactly everything what they need to do. I think you should have done it this way. No, no. So... Support him. Give him a chance to mess up first. <laughs> Support him. Encourage him. And we, we can read about that later in Colossians and Ephesians. That's not where we're going today. But the church didn't have only one central figure. 
that is named here. This, this church has many men. I encourage you, men, step up. Wherever you're at, you got a next step. I have a next step. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean I'm perfect. Again, I've said this many times. My wife will definitely be the first to tell you I'm not. I'm not up here because I'm perfect, but I'm up here because I know my purpose. And men, I know yours too. It's laid out for us in Scripture. So the church didn't have one central figure, only one teacher. It was elder-led instead of a figurehead. So church, I'm asking for you as accountability here in front of everybody. As a reminder, don't, as a church, ever let us, even if I'm not here, deviate from an elder-led model. If I'm ever gone, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I may not live to see it. I don't know. I want to, but I don't know. So if there's ever someone else up here who builds their own wooden box for whatever reason to stand behind, don't let us as a church deviate from the scriptural model of church. Make sense? Elder-led, not figurehead. Second of all, the church had all types of people in it. You want a little footnote or more homework? You can check out Galatians chapter 3 later on this. But the church had all types of people in it. What do we see? Even from this list of leaders, we have Barnabas. We have Simeon, who is called Niger. And you might have a footnote, like as I do. Niger is a Latin word meaning black or dark. All right? Now, either this was the most appropriate name or the worst of nicknames. So most likely... Very incredibly, I'd put like 99 point repeating with the line sign over it, 99%. Most likely, Simeon was a man of color. Isn't that great? Yes. Did they seek him out? We need to have more ethnic variety. No, he was just a believer. Who, like any other believer, because in Christ we are no longer slave or free, right? Jew or Gentile, but all in one Christ Jesus. The color of our skin is just that. There's a big effort today in seeking people of certain color groups for the faith. At its core, that's actually unbiblical. We just need people. We just need to seek people. I don't care what color their skin is. I got a brother in Christ. His name's Bradley Esau. He's a friend of mine from fraternity. And he is what I'll call a brother from another mother. Right? His skin is the opposite of mine. And I love this man. He's married now. Younger than I am. Smart man. Music major. You know why we're brothers? Not because of fraternity. Because of Christ. When I look on that man, I see my brother. That's it. That's... Don't get caught up in the outside because we know from 1 Samuel 16 that God looks at the inside. Man looks at the outward appearance. And so if we're trying to seek a people group based on their ethnicity, their demographic, who's marginalized or not, who determined that, we're pursuing the wrong thing. And I love it that even in this early church, there is a collective. So you have Barnabas, up from Jerusalem, who is a learned man in the faith. We have Simeon, who is called Niger. A man of color. You have Lucius of Cyrene. That's from a totally different area. 
little island. And then we have Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And then we have Saul, who up until uh, a number of years prior to this was the biggest persecutor of the church. Come full circle now in its leadership. What a story. What a collective. So the church had all types of people on it. So the church is elder-led, not figurehead. The church had all types of people in it. And then let's read here together. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, comma, the Holy Spirit did something new through what they did normally. The Holy Spirit did something new through what they did normally. Well, what was the new thing? This, what we'll call this word, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I had called them. And most likely it wasn't a voice, set apart Barnabas. No, they were led in the Spirit together. That after this time of worship and fasting, in unity, they're like, we know what should happen next. And any time believers are in the Spirit, they will be led to unity. Have you ever thought about that? The Spirit did something new through what they did normally. What did they do normally? They were While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. In a couple weeks and in chapter 14, we're going to camp out a little bit more on the fasting concept. Because it's important. And the early church is actually built on worship and fasting among other things. But we're going to t- pause not necessarily on the fasting right now, but on what they were doing normally. On Sunday nights, we're in a study. Uh, and we're taking, uh, we're now, tonight will be week four uh, of just Psalm 34, week four of seven. We're just, for seven weeks, we're all just studying Psalm 34, and that's it. And I love it today because Brad has already read us a good chunk of Psalm, or not a good chunk, a great chunk, but the tiny in its vastness of Psalm 119, Psalm 119, very long. But we've read Psalm 119, Mike Avento earlier, uh, during our time of worship, read Psalm 24. And so here's another Psalm, Psalm 34. And it's great, and I love it. And I'm going to turn to Psalm 34. And I want you to hear this a little bit. And so if you're coming on Sunday nights, you've heard this before. And I won't apologize because we could use to hear it again, myself included. And this is a Psalm of David, and he's going to begin Psalm 34. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, with me, and let us exalt His name together. And this is the first part of Psalm 34 that we call on Sunday nights, the invitation. David is inviting us to worship the Lord with him. And what we come to find out in this story, as David is writing this, he's on the run He's hungry, he's got leftover temple bread, he's collected Goliath's sword, he's on the run from the Saul and the Philistines, and he runs, and he is alone in this cave when he writes this psalm. Who's he writing to? Come more to the Lord with me. Well, whoever will find this. Whoever will read it. Whoever he has a chance to tell. And they're still finding scrolls and things wrapped up in earthen jars all over the Middle East on a regular basis. David, not knowing at that time whether or not he had another day, may have written this down and said, I hope someone finds this. And if they do, they will know David was here. And, more importantly, 
what he would want to communicate to us. Worship the Lord. There's good invitations and there's bad invitations. Unfortunately, much of our modern approach to Christianity, and I say our loosely, even Christianity loosely in this context, so I hope, I hope I'm not trying to ruffle feathers, that's not my intent. But much of our approach is, well, I would like to go to this. Do you want to go? No, I'm not going to go. Well, okay, then I won't go either. And even beyond that, to a dinner, like, hey, I'm going to go to dinner. Would you like to go? I can't tonight. And then, so what do you do? You don't go to dinner either. You just sit at home and make a DiGiorno or something. Hey, I'd like to go kayaking. Do you want to go kayaking? No, I can't that weekend. Do you go by yourself? No. Why? Because I'd be lonely. So much of our inviting of what we do on a modern, in a modern-day culture is we invite based on the response of the other person, whether or not they're going to join us. All right? A bad invitation is, is if you don't come, it's not going to happen. But we invite like that much of the time, don't we? Anyone with me on this? Maybe it's just me. It could be just me. Any honest people in here? Thanks, Ryan. That's right. Thanks. Two weeks off of purgatory. <laughs> it's a joke. No purgatory. Anyway, all right, so it's, we invite people, we want to do things with them. But if they don't join us, uh, I'm not going to do it. That's a bad invitation, isn't it? Because it's dependent on the other person. What's a good invitation? A good invitation is, I'm doing this with or without you. It's going to happen. So compared to a weak dinner invite, let's up that a little bit. And imagine, if you will, hmm, I don't know, a wedding. Weddings coming up in the future, you get an invitation in the mail. Oh, look at you, you're special. You made the list. They're going to pay for you for something. You get to give them a toaster. A good invitation is happening with or without you. If you decline the invitation to the wedding, do they cancel it? Simply because you can't come? Oh, no, oh. Jim and Sheila can't make it. Oh, should we, should we do a different date? How's, how's April 15th? No, 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 it's actually, okay. How's, uh, how's December 25th? No, a little busy? No, okay. No, they can't make it that day. Oh, when are we going to get married? Someone can't make it. Shucks. Guess we'll never get hitched. A good invitation is this happening with or without you. And a good invitation is very quickly, it's, it's personal. First of all, you got an invite addressed to you, your name on it. They know you, you have a relationship with them. Number two, it's planned. Please come to our wedding on January 25th, 2027. Yeah, people are planning out that far. It's crazy. Like, they, we're gonna, we know we're going to get married. We've been together for two years. You know, we've been engaged for seven. We're going to get married in 2041. Like, it's just long, drawn out. If you're not married yet in here, men, young men, listen to me. Women, hear me on this. If it takes you longer to have a baby than to get married, your engagement's too long. Anyway, all right. Don't, get, don't stay engaged for years. Just get married. Let's go. 
Hooray. All right. It's personal. It's planned. Number three is participatory. That's a fun word. Participatory. All right? So you get an invitation. They want you to come. And when you're come, they don't just sit there and be bumps on a log. No, there's a dance floor. Go do the shout because no one's ever done it before. All right? Or that other weird thing. Yeah, macaroni. That's it. Do the macaroni. Do the Charleston. I don't know. You could do this thing. Someone from your groomsman party. I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone did it. All right? It's fun. It's going to be participatory. You want to be involved, and finally, it's got to be practiced. As anyone who's ever been married before, you better have a rehearsal. And will it be chaotic? Yes. Is it going to be unorganized? Yes. But if you don't do that annoying 45 minutes the day before, the day of is going to be like, what is happening? Who's supposed to walk down with who? Who's even getting married? Where's the bride? What's the music? Who's... you got to have a rehearsal. It's practiced, all right? So this is what... Not the wedding, right? But what we see here is that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is something that they did normally. This was normal. It was normal for them to invite people. It was a good invitation, not a bad invitation. They are doing this with or without the rest of the people. In other words, their worship wasn't dependent on if you come. Good worship wasn't dependent on if there was an electric guitar there that day. Good worship wasn't dependent on, well, I, you know, the message is a little slacking. <laughs> and it might have been. But that's not good worship. Good worship is not dependent on those things. Good worship is, I give God my best. All my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. So we see here the leaders in this church. This was normal for them. While they were, not we set up a special appointment. On August 27th. And on that day, ha ha, we marked it on our calendars. There was a conference. We went to that conference. Oh, and then there was a revelation. Nope, this is just normal. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit did something new while they did what was normal. In church today, if if we aren't normal, if we aren't regular, if we're not disciplined in our worship, and yes, even in our fasting, we're coming to that next chapter, but if we aren't disciplined in our faith, it's extremely unfair for us to expect giant revelation out of our irregular time with God. Encourage you to be regular. Call it faith metamucil if you need to. I don't care. I'm serious because some of y'all take vitamins many times a day and you got it marked out in the little old person box with the days of the week and everything. It probably has a name. My wife has the old person box too. I'm not making fun of it. It's just there and I don't know what to call it right now. But we got the days of the week with all the little vitamins and you're regular about taking your vitamins. <gasps> oh, I missed it. Oh, that we could be that regular about prayer, about worshiping, about the Word. Oh, ah, it's 1.05. I missed my 1 p.m. Bible reading. Y'all tracking with me on that? So they, they were normal. They were regular. And during this time of 
since their obedience, the Spirit revealed to them something new, that there was a mission for Saul and Barnabas. And after fasting and praying, and yes, that's more fasting and more praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. And it was right then, it was right there. They didn't say, well, you know, I think this is a great idea. Let's plan it for like a year for now, you know, and, and we'll, we'll figure that out. And, um, and then I can put it on, I can take the days off of work. And I'm like, no, you go, you, you go now. Now, now good? Yes, now, go. They packed up. And they left. Why? Because they were on mission. And what God had called them to do was more important than whatever else they had previously planned. And so they left. They laid hands on them and they sent them off. We're going to shift gears a little bit and talk the rest of our time this morning from a little bit of a different angle. Let's read this again. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, will go to Saul, and then finally, now back a little bit, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And if we just read this at first glance, you're like, all right, that was cool, I keep going. Verse 4, so being sent out to the, by the, okay, chapter 14, right, that's cool. Just, but if we bypass some of these little tiny details, we can lose, it's important. Why is that little detail in there? Who is this? Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is not the Herod we just talked about, who is eaten by worms and everything like that. This is not the Herod who killed James. All right? This was the last chapter. This was Herod the Tetrarch. All right? And Herod the Tetrarch was the man who beheaded John the Baptist, as well as oversaw part of Jesus' trial. And this is Herod the Tetrarch, whose name is also Herod Antipas. Antipas. All right? So you have Herod Agrippa, that's the guy we just talked about last week, died of the worms and the ugh. Right? Then you have this guy, Herod Antipas. And he was before Herod Agrippa. Now, Herod Antipas, again, he was the one who had John the Baptist behead. We're going to read that in a few minutes. And he was friends along with Pontius Pilate and the Jewish leaders. And why did he have John the Baptist uh, beheaded? For one part, we're going to read it. So let's turn there. Matthew chapter. 14, bear with me on this. I, hopefully we can land this today together. Matthew chapter 14. I'm just going to dive right in here to verse 1. And at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And there's a lot of rumors. You can read this in also Mark chapter 6. We aren't going to travel there today because it's very similar to this Matthew 14. But in Mark chapter 6, it does give us a little bit more detail because there were these rumors that the John the Baptist and Jesus, who were kind of doing ministry simultaneously, they're Elijah. It's an old prophet. It's someone up from the dead. All right? And so there's all these rumors going around that maybe John the Baptist wasn't John the Baptist. Maybe he was Elijah or Elisha, again, a prophet come back from the dead. And so this is why he's been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are working in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now why is he saying that? Well, because Herod the Tetrarch had a wife, divorced her so he could marry his brother's wife here 
Herodias. And the brother's still alive at this time. Kind of gross, right? A little bit gross, all right? Um, Furthermore, it's also his niece. All right, so, yeah. And so John the Baptist is speaking out about this, a whole bunch of ew, right? So he divorced his first wife to marry his brother's wife, who's also his niece. They fell in love there when he spent some time in Rome. And so John is like, this is not right. You're the leader of the Jewish people. This is against our laws, right? And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him, John the Baptist, to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias uh, danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Now, prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter, one on a plate. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. Mm. She brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Jesus is broken up about this. You can read that in the other Gospels. But So there's a little bit, a glimpse of this Herod the Tetrarch. Let's get a little bit more of a glimpse of Herod the Tetrarch. Let's go to Luke, book of Luke. Luke chapter 9, just a couple of verses. Luke chapter 9, verse 7 through 9. Jesus is going about doing his ministry, all right? And Herod the Tetrarch, verse 7, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Now Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. From this point on, Herod the Tetrarch wanted to have an audience with Jesus. Well, he ends up getting that in Luke chapter 23. Let's go on a little bit more. Luke chapter 23 Verses 1 through 16. And again, I'm just going to dive right in. And the whole company of them arose and brought him, Jesus, before Pilate. This is after his arrest, obviously. And they began to accuse him, saying about Jesus, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. (laughs) I love it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the guards and the crowds, I'm sorry, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod. Like, all right, I don't want to deal with this. He's your problem. Galileans deal with Galilean problems. I find no guilt in him, and you figure out what you want to do. So he sent him over to Herod who was himself at the time at Jerusalem. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad here because he had long desired to see him. He wanted an audience. He was curious about what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was saying. He was interested. He heard about it, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Work your magic. Jesus, do something cool. Stick in a snake thing. Moses did that. You can do it, right? So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. 
For before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore just punish and release him. And we know after that that the crowds begged for the crucifixion and they got their wish. So that's a little glimpse from the, from the scripture about this Herod the Tetrarch. Remember this. Keep your brain there. Because now I want to travel back to Acts. Not necessarily in Scripture, but in thought. We have Menaean, right? Who is a lifelong friend of this man. Herod the Tetrarch. One of the leaders in the church. In Antioch. Does anyone else find that incredible? Amazing and, let's be honest, improbable? While we're staying in the book of Luke, let's go back to chapter 8. Back to chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Just a few verses here. And we're going to get more insight. Jesus is going about doing uh, miracles, obviously, early in his ministry. And soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And check this out in verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Here we see this person named Joanna. Joanna's wife of Chusa. And Chusa is Herod's household manager. He's ruler of everything that Herod has, in a sense. He's like your number two type of thing, right? He's in charge of Herod's estate, overseeing his probably wealth and financial investments. He's probably over uh, grain and harvesting things. This would have been a very high up guy and very wealthy in his own right. In his own right, his wife, one day, because one day he chooses a wife. Never mind. All right. So one day, chooses takes a wife, and his wife is Joanna. And this Joanna gets healed herself by Jesus, becomes a follower, very devoted, and because of her and her husband's wealth, they support the ministry. A lot. And this isn't the only time we're going to hear about Joanna. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Bear with me. Luke chapter 24. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's been dead, crucified, buried. Now three days later, check this out. They see... Actually, let's just start at verse 1. Why not? But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, the women taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Remember he told you this, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words... And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. 
Now it was Mary Magdalene, look who you have here, and Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe it. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, and stooping in and looking, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Peter and John uh, were there also. So we have that Joanna, this Joanna who is healed, wife of Chusa, who is Herod's household attendant, is also a follower of Christ. Now let's go back to Acts. Chapter 13, and then just one more scripture for today. Let's read this again. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Again, not just one, but many. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and this Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. A lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. What have we learned today? Well, that might be a great question. Hopefully, here's a few things. Number one, let's talk about Herod the Tetrarch. This Herod Antipas, or Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch that we've been talking about, he met Jesus, didn't he? But did he follow Jesus? Meeting Jesus doesn't mean you become a follower of Jesus. If that were true, then there would be no stories in here about the rich young ruler who went away disappointed because of his wealth. If every single person who had ever met Jesus became a follower of Jesus, this would be a different book. But many people met Jesus and then chose not to follow chose not to listen, chose to walk a different way. I saw this post that's going, it's making its rounds on the, on the viral whatever socials thing, social, you know, medias, social medias. And uh, I don't know if anyone has seen it, but it's just a, I think it's a screenshot of an, uh, a, a TikTok. Am I, does this make sense? I don't know if I'm speaking the Bonner language right. I don't know. It's a screenshot of a TikTok video. Um, and this screenshot of this TikTok video is this is this young woman who says she's an atheist. And basically this this thing, this picture, uh, says that she was an atheist and she went to her mega church growing up and thought she found uh she thought she met God and was, you know, it was great. And then she went to this secular music concert and that was she had the same feeling and that was great. Um, and so she, we realized she didn't uh, care for or love God. She just loved live music. And my heart breaks for that because she's not wrong. You can go to a church with a large band or great ministries and think you're meeting God and you're not. If we're not careful, we turn times like these and gatherings into experiences. How many times have we heard a worship experience? That's what they're called these days in many churches. Just come to our worship experience. What are you going to experience there? You're going to experience them. And 
so they pump up the volume and they pump up the haze and they pump up the lasers. I know this because we did this. Minus the lasers. Those are cool. <laughs> I saw this. Uh, there's a, uh, this is off topic, but uh, there's this uh, post, there's a group called the Babylon Bee, and it's Christian satire and stuff, and I'll never forget, when I was a worship leader a number of years ago, they had this post that said, Christian worship band turns lasers up too high, and they just like, and they were like cutting the band in half, like, ah, yes. Anyway, it's just, it was classic, you know. But if we're not careful, that's the experience that, that we create. And this young woman thought she was a Christian, Turns out she thinks she's atheist because she encountered a worship band. She, she just thinks she didn't encounter God. She encountered an experience. So meeting Jesus is not enough. Second of all, this Herod of Tetrarch, he was interested in what he said, wasn't he? perplexed, curious, wanted to meet Jesus. And there's plenty of people, maybe in here, definitely out there like, I'm interested in Jesus. I think he was a cool guy. Did some cool things. Probably a great role model. You know, was great. Uh, he probably voted every election. You know, great guy to follow. Had some, not everything in here might be true, but, uh, but some of it's good. I might follow those things. So pretty cool guy all around. He just thumbs up. No, like you might be interested in Jesus, but is that enough? No, Herod was interested in Jesus. He, he wanted to see what God's going to do next. Come dance, monkey, dance. Put on a sign. Let me pray real hard because my tape didn't come through. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Do something, genie God. You might be interested. I'm spiritual. In what? Oh, spirit. I have faith in what? Um, faith? These are answers I've gotten from people before, talking to them. And if you talk to enough people, you'll have conversations just like that. What do you believe in? God? Which God? Uh, the God? The creator of the universe? The one who sent his son? In place of our sin, and who didn't stay dead, but through this same power that created the universe and holds it all together, rose from the dead, so that you and I might have life everlasting? This God? Yes. But Jesus is cool. What? No, you just might be interested in him. There's another viral meme thing, Jesus is my buddy or something like that. No, not. He's your savior. He's your king. Show him some respect. It's not enough to be interested in Jesus or have, I might be a faithless person, spiritual person. And we know, which is why we did this long discourse on Menaean and Joanna, that Herod the Tetrarch had people in his life who were Christ followers. We know he spent the remainder of his life in exile in Gaul, which is like a worse spelling of France if you're Roman. Gaul. So Herod had met Jesus. Herod was interested in what Jesus had said. Herod had people he knew, lifelong friends who had come to Christ. But it is, is it enough? Well, I know a Christian. 
I prayed, someone else prayed, I'm good, I'm covered, I'm set. Are you a believer? No, but I go to church. Wrong answer. That's basically a big thing that says, well, I know other people who are Christians. Was Herod a Christ follower? There's no record. In fact, to the contrary, if anything, that he ever came to Christ. He met him, was interested in what he said. I'm a spiritual person. He had friends in, ha- in his own house who were Christ followers. But guess what? Was not a Christian. There's a whole bunch of people who think that they're entitled to heaven based on someone else's faith. Friends, if you're hearing this today, it's not enough to meet Jesus, to be interested in what he said, to have friends even in your own home and house who are Christ followers. That does not make you, ipso facto, or by default, a Christian. You and I, individually, will one day have to stand and give an account before this Jesus. And his words might be, depart from me, for I never met you. No. Depart from me, for I never knew you. I don't know you. And that's the call. Herod met Jesus. Herod was interested in what Jesus taught. Herod had people in his own house who followed Jesus. But did not choose Jesus. Did not know Jesus. You and I are called to know Jesus. What a blessing. What a privilege. What an honor. What a responsibility. What a joy. And it's out of this knowing that Paul and Barnabas set off because they know that God's going to take care of them. He's called me there. Okay, I'm going to go. That simple? Yeah, that's simple. So you have a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, Menaean, and you have Herod the Tetrarch. Both probably immensely wealthy men. Well-known. Had anything they want, large house, you fill in the blank. It's almost like that tale of two cities type of thing. On one hand, very identical people say one thing. What's the one thing? Jesus. What sets us apart from the world is simply Christ. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, and this is why that if then is so important, if then you know what we just talked about, you're living what we just talked about, you're bearing fruit, if then you're worshiping regularly, if then you're praying and fasting, if then you're obedient. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill it. Kill it with fire. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked, and again, this paraphrases 1 Corinthians 6, is you were and you were some of these, right? In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, this is reminiscent of what we talked about earlier in the early church, how it, who makes it up. Here there is gr- not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, but no, Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Matthew 6. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, doing this normally, right, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, when you leave this place, whatever you do, where you go to lunch, whatever you do, wherever you go to work, whatever you do, When you put your kids to bed, whatever you do. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is what sets us apart. Herod the Tetrarch had people in his own home, had met Jesus, had an encounter, probably considered himself spiritual, it's not enough. You and I. I'm speaking to the believers in here today. I, can't, I don't know if you are. I hope you are. But to those of us who are, isn't this great news? This is what sets us apart. It's Christ. This is what brings unity. It's Christ. This is what makes you my brother and my sister. I was born into this world with one. She's my twin sister. I got her. She's like a bogo. All right? But you, my brothers and sisters in Christ... So let's live like that this week. Put to death those things that we know shouldn't be there, that the Spirit is convicting of us. That needs to end. That needs to stop. And yes, you do, in fact, have the power to be able to do that. Do you know why? Because of Jesus in you. You, by yourself, can't do it. Otherwise, that habit, that problem, that thing that you've tried to kick for so long, you you haven't done it. Why? Because you were dependent on you. Give it over to the Lord. His strength will be shown. Take my word for it. I'm there. I'm a product of it. I've talked about that before. Live 
according to that. We would be obedient. We would be fruitful. Because of His goodness, His grace, His love, His mercy for us. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.